You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Christopher Momney, CEO of the Westchester University Foundation. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Laura. So glad to be here. Thanks. Now, tell us a little bit about the foundation. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Ah, so thanks for that. Westchester University Foundation is the philanthropic arm of Westchester University. So that's a fancy way of saying we're the fundraising arm. But our magic lies in matching donor passion to university mission. So we uh, work with the university. We are their sole source provider of fundraising and work with them to essentially raise dollars that otherwise they wouldn't have from alumni, friends, and from companies and other partners in the area. So it sounds like matching the people to the passions is giving them the opportunities to understand where their money is going to go if they want to earmark it for sports or for scholarships or for... That's right. Our job as a foundation, so maybe folks not familiar with the maybe the foundation model, I think a lot of people are familiar with foundations as places that give away money, right? And we're one of those institutions that does that, but we only give it to one place and that's Westchester University. So... Our job is to raise money for them and then to serve it back to them. So what I like to say to our team here is our job is to know the university an inch deep and a mile wide. Mm. Love to be able to tell donors all about the university. And then when they pick up on a particular passion or they pick up on something that's theirs, that's when we bring the university partners in and say, okay, you're this content area expert, athletic director, football coach, head of the biology department. You take the donor in from here and really tell them all about it because they're the folks that know it, you know, that inch wide, mile deep. So that's where our partnership is with the university. That sounds like a great balance. What's your favorite part of your job and why? You know, I love our events. I love going to our events. We're especially right now, we've just launched our 150th anniversary of the university. Wow. Launched a new campaign, which I'll talk about a little bit, but uh, our 150 forward campaign. But our events here at Westchester bring just a variety of folks onto campus and really in the last 18 months into our orbit, you know, through virtual connections. So it's been awesome to just meet folks from all over the country, from even local places that we haven't seen before, from the counties around here and in the Delaware Valley. But, you know, my, by far, it is the events and the meeting of the people. And then I would say the students that we include in our events that speak to their experiences, that speak to their gratitude for scholarships and whatnot. So those are awesome events, especially when the students are there. Nice, nice. There's nothing like being on a university campus when right. the students are all engaged in something really exciting and fun. Last year, it was like a ghost town. And it was, for those of us that you know have been around students our whole lives, it was hard. You know, it was really hard, but it's so, you know, I, I can hear the band practicing out my window here now. And it's just wonderful to have the students back and to bring the campus back to life. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. So then what's coming up? What's something that's exciting? I mean, you just mentioned 150 years that the campaign. Tell us a little bit about that. And what do you more specifically 
with regard to your role in that, where does communication come in for you? So my role in, and particularly in this campaign, as we celebrate 150 forward, it's a unique campaign, Laura. It's, it's not a capital campaign. We're not going out raising money for bricks and mortar. This is a pretty focused campaign on students. So my job in that is really to communicate that to folks. I think a lot of times when people hear from higher ed constituents here, oh, here they come, they're doing a campaign. They're wondering, you know, buildings that they can put their names on, bricks they can buy, spaces that they can name. And we're really focused on student success here at Westchester. And we have three buckets. And my job is to talk about those inside, outside, upside down, and let people know that we're raising money for scholarships to impact student aid. We're raising money for the student experience. So all of those athletics, extracurricular components, all of the programming that's on campus. And then lastly, we're raising money to improve technology. So it's all very student-centered and it's not infrastructure-centered at all. So it sounds like really having those having those three bullets down, those talking points, those what I like to call tweetable and repeatable sound bites where right. people can just hear it, remember it. Okay, so scholarships, extracurricular programs, and technology, these are the three areas. That's it. Pick one, go for it. That's it. And you know, we have the luxury again in, in higher ed of doing the feasibility study first to see what resonates with our donors. So we get to we got to pressure test some ideas with folks sure. ahead of time and, and what consistently resonated with them was money directly impacting the lives of students and um, a lot of conversation in that scholarship bucket and student opportunities bucket for international travel. I don't know if you've had the opportunity mm. to study abroad. I had the great pleasure of living in Rome, Italy for two years. Wow. It's just awesome. It's, it's life-changing, right? And it, it has impacted who I am today. It's impacted my friend circle. It's impacted my relationship circle. And so that's a particular passion of mine, but that really resonated with our donors, especially here at Westchester, where we have an access mission, a lot of first-generation students, a lot of need. And for that student who's maybe never even left Pennsylvania or Delaware to be able to have the opportunity to go to Ireland for six weeks or go to Australia for a semester, it's life-changing. It really is. I think and college was a great experience for me. I was fortunate enough to spend my junior year abroad in Japan and Kyoto for most of the year and then an internship in Tokyo for a while. And there is nothing like living abroad. I honestly think that every student should have the opportunity to do that. So if you are giving more scholarships to help students study abroad, my gosh, that's terrific. I'm trying yeah. to encourage my oldest right now who's just starting college yeah. to make space and to focus on languages if possible, not focus, but like pick one and right. do some work in it right. to just enable right. him to go abroad. We're doing the same. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing the same. I, I just think to have that global perspective, especially now, right? I mean, I, I appreciate having done it in the mid nineties, but I think especially now in this global world that we're in, that ability to relate to and, and understand a larger world, literally a larger world, I think is, it's just beneficial to, to, to students and to us as adults today. So. And I think it makes a big difference when you can be on the other side of the, of the coin, so to speak. It's one thing to be here and engaging with international students or going to other communities around your city that are, sure. you know, the, the Chinatowns or the little Right. fill in the blanks. But uh, it's so different to be the foreigner. Absolutely. And to experience that firsthand, to be at the mercy of others when you're not as fluent in the language or you don't know the culture and the ways. Exactly. So, you know, not to tangent on all this, but boy, that's such a hot button issue for me yeah. and really did shape my life and my worldview, to say the least, it has a lot to do with what I do today, to say the least. All right. So with that, then, 
we've talked about a lot of different kinds of communication that we've both benefited from learning from our international experiences. With all that, what's a communication skill that you feel like at this point in your career, you're really good at? And what's something you still wish you were better at? What's something you're working on? You know, I think I'm great public speaking, great getting the message across, great, you know, being the one of my past jobs, you know, one of my colleagues probably missed your microphone, right? It's like, if you're looking for a soundbite, you want to know about the mission of the organization that I work for, I will grab that microphone and, and articulate it. I would say as far as what I could work on, I think it's, you know, one of the challenges I think in the past 18 months, it has been, I don't want to say hiding behind email or hiding behind, mm. but there's nothing like this, right? There's nothing like the interpersonal communication. I have folks on staff that I coach to say, boy, you know what? I know you didn't mean that in your email. Just pick up the phone next time because your affect, you just come across much better in, in the personal. So I'm really challenging myself this year to get away from even the text, even away from the email. You know, on my computer now, I have our teams up and that's a chat and people can chat me from the other side of the office or they're in the remote environment. Nice, but I'd rather hit that video button and say, hey, let's just talk face to face for a second. So I think if there's something that I could work on, it's again, how do I get my point across and my passion across for good or for bad, you know, as a leader in written communication, you know, because my default is always to say, hey, let's talk, let's get together, let's go for a drink, let's have lunch. Mine's always face to face. And so how do we hone the written part in so that it fairly captures you, who I am as a person, what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. And and I find that some of the challenge for me, at least in trying to do that specifically, is that I want to make sure that I'm not becoming excessively verbose right. in trying to communicate more explicitly what you otherwise would just infer from my tone of voice, right. understand from my facial expressions, you know, short of emojis and those kinds of things. My writing professor said, just say it, don't convey it, right? Just say it. You know, you don't have to. One of the hardest classes I ever took in college was that English 101 composition class. Mm. In high school, it was like, I got to get this out to three pages. How do I, you know, this was, as you can appreciate, before you can make the font bigger, <laughs> you're still on a word processor of some kind. And and he took the opposite approach. He said, just, just, you know, say it, don't convey it. You know, now he taught you how to say it well and say it concisely and say it with the appropriate words. But I think that was his whole point of his class is you don't have to go on and on and on in a paper to get your same point across. Sure. And a paper is even a different, because that's supposed to be a monologue. That's not a interpersonal no. communication of the more traditional, not traditional, but the more common modern sense of right. texts and emails and those kinds of things where people don't proofread 12 times before they submit, to say the least. Yep. Seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> Writing papers for college, blue books. It does. So blue books. Oh my gosh, now I'm going to start twitching. That's a, that's <laughs> not, a, <laughs> I haven't thought yeah. of blue books in years. My goodness, I'm quite glad I'm not in that era anymore. Yeah. Now, what about role models? You mentioned your professor who gave you that particular good little heuristic, the say it, don't convey it. But is there somebody that you admire as a communication role model, especially in speaking? Yes, absolutely. So I think of a couple folks, you know, one is I grew up in the Reagan era, mm -hmm. in the 80s, and I certainly did not appreciate who he was until, you know, after I was an adult. But, you know, Ronald Reagan, you know, the great communicator, as they call him, his style of addressing a group and his style of getting a point across 
is something that I really admire. To this day, I, it is not unlikely to just pop up a YouTube video on the way home and say, I just want to watch the State of the Union address again. Or I, <laughs> I just want to watch, not so much for the message and the, the relevance of that message, but the how, right? And I think the common theme here from the next person I'll talk about, who is my pastor growing up as a Italian Catholic in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, my pastor, he preached every week and always had a story, always a storyteller, always stuck to the rules that, you know, that they say in homiletics classes is, you know, keep it under seven minutes. And this guy could get a story. He'd tell that story. He'd go to the message. He would wrap it up and he'd sit down. And so for me, the common theme is storytelling. Yes. Is you have a story in there that people can relate, not just the story that, again, all these books behind me that have the chicken soup for the soul story, but a story that happened to me this week. Mm-hmm. And my pastor would do everything. He'd start off and say, I had to preside at a funeral this past week. And I want to tell you a story. They're like, whoa, he was right in the, he's a character in the story. Right. So, I think Reagan's the same way, right? I mean, his humor was just unbelievable. But in terms of just telling a story to relate to his point or his message, those are folks that I try and emulate. Yes. The importance and the value of storytelling, I cannot stress enough. And it's something that some people just really have that innate gift yes. and others are really scared of it. But it does not have to be being a Steven Spielberg and coming up with this really big one. It's just about making it personal. It is. Making it relevant. It makes you relatable, right? I mean, and I found in leadership, you know, one of the gifts I've told that I've had is, you know, as a leader, you're relatable. And I think, again, spending 25-year career in Catholic education leadership came up as a teacher and then was a principal and then was a superintendent and then ultimately the secretary of education here in the archdiocese, you know, in the first portion of my career. And, and people said, you could tell your story about student that you had or the parent that you had. Yes. And again, when not only is storytelling impactful, it's when you're a character in the story. You can say, let me tell you a story about how, how I was involved with this. And again, you got to balance, right? You don't want to make somebody feel like, ah, I've been through that. Get over it. Right? It's not, right. not the purpose of telling the story. The purpose of telling the story, for me at least, is to set the stage for the point that you want to make. Not always to just empathize and say, oh, I've been there, done that. Because I've had those folks, you know, leaders as well, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no story you can tell me that I haven't been a part of. I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe, but that's not the point of my, you know, I want to tell you a story so that I can tell you what I learned from that episode, right? Sure, sure. Even if you don't preface with, let me tell you a story, or I want to tell you a story about, you don't have to herald it that way. Just go into illustrating that whole show me, don't tell me. I think it is something that helps a lot. Sometimes I think if you were to preface every time, I suddenly had this flashback. Do you remember the TV show, The Golden Girls? Yes. Yeah. It was on back in, what, the 80s or something like that. One of my favorites. It's still on. And the character, Estelle, who was the elderly mother, 80-something years old, she'd always... Sophia. She'd go into... Yes, exactly. The character was Sophia, right? Estelle Getty was the actress. And yeah. she would always go into our lectures by saying, picture it, picture. Sicily, yeah. 1932. That's and then right. she'd go into whatever. And you just knew, okay, you had to sit back and yeah. get comfortable because she was going to go into her story, which may or may not have been relevant yeah, at the exactly. time, but it sure was entertaining. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to demonstrate you're the smartest person in the room by saying you are, right? You have to, I, you, right. people want to hear, hear hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's well said. Now, in telling these stories, yes, exactly. Thank you very much, there. So I'll tell my TV story. I wasn't the character. I was the character watching the characters. That's there right. There we go. A story in a story. So, Chris, this brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. Sure. This is your chance to talk directly to the audience yeah. and challenge them 
to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would love to challenge our listeners today, Laura, to be grateful and to go out and to find someone that they saw as a mentor, someone as a role model, and reach out to them. In fact, I'm going to call my pastor tomorrow. <sighs> um, he's still alive. He's still father bought Dave Baugh. Just saw him a couple of years ago. He's down in Fort Myers. God love him. 86, 87 years old. My dad still is in contact with them. I'm still in contact with them. I would say, go find somebody and just thank them. Thank them for being a mentor, a role model, and let them know that they have been. Let them know that they have been and how they've influenced you. I think that is such an awesome way of not just showing gratitude, but reminding yourself, for me, reminding myself where I came from and who those folks are in my life. So that'd be my challenge to folks. In the next 24 hours, go out and reach out to that mentor and thank them. I totally love that this is not just a challenge that you are giving to the to the audience here, but it's one that you've just accepted for yourself that you're going to reach out to your pastor and that you told the story about him yep. and he's now top of mind. It's like, tell let him. me tell him, when's the last time you spoke with him? Say, I know he's going to say, Christopher, Christopher, how are you? What, what's your call about today, young man? I'll say, <laughs> young man at the age of 50, he call me young man all he wants. And I'll tell him, I'll give him the context and I'll tell him the story of how I will Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. I just hear. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Well, tell him I said hello and tell him thank you for the inspiration and for the story. I will. I'll send him the link too. He's, I think he's pretty tech savvy. Oh, that's great. Great. Well, we would love to hear from him. So we'll go from there. All right, everybody, you have your marching orders now officially. Go do it. Think about someone who's been a positive influence, been a role model in one way, shape or form, short term, long term or otherwise, and just find a way to contact them and just tell them. I bet you'll make their day. That's a lovely way to start or end the day or anywhere in the middle for that matter. Absolutely. Now, we've talked about a lot of the things that you've learned to do really well. What's a communication-related mistake that you've made at some point in your career? Oh, gosh. Just one, huh? (laughs) (laughs) For starters, we'll see where we go. So, you know, one of the things I would say is, for me, and I think this is true of a lot of people, for me, whenever you're asked to get out of your comfort zone, it's really uncomfortable. Um, That's why it's called your comfort zone, right? And so I will say a couple of one, falling into not honoring my own communication style, where, where I thrive, right? So falling into that trap of what we talked earlier, I think for an example of the gentleman I worked with when I was in upstate New York, we were on the same level, but he had a broader role in the organization and was a 4.30, 5 o'clock riser in the morning and just, and just peppered, peppered with emails. And it was difficult. I had a very difficult time because we had young kids at that time. You know, I was up early, that early, but I was up. And you're watching this email chain of other people and decisions are being made in email before you even had a cup of coffee. This is crazy. So what was my mistake? My mistake was feeding right into it mm. and not addressing it and not saying, guys, listen, gals, listen, I don't know if you're looking for me to reply I'm fine if we all want to gather at 7.30. And because frankly, Laura, the other thing was, I mean, there'd be 40 emails, but it's in that realm of the short answers. Yep, thanks, got it. You have a good day. And thinking, stop being reply all. What we accomplished in the email over two and three hours that caused me like anxiety driving into the office or already agitated me could have been covered in a 30-minute generous, probably 15-minute conversation in the morning around the coffee pot. Mm. So- my mistake was perpetuating that for probably 
oh God, 12, 13 months, 14 wow. before I finally waved the flag and said, I can't do this. Anymore. You waved the flag, but what does that mean? What did it look like, sound like? Was it an email? Did you address everybody in a, in a meeting at one point? What did you actually say and how did people respond? Yeah. So being that Italian, you know, it just pushed me to my limit. And I, I sent one of those emails that we're all coached to put in a draft folder, right? <laughs> this is absolutely ridiculous. We've been doing this for a year. This is not how we should, you know, I got on my high horse mm. and through an email, which obviously went over like a lead balloon. And so I followed up with calling everybody together, leading with an apology and saying, this is where my anger is coming from, is my anger. And I just explained what I explained to you is mm-hmm. I'm not up that early. I'm not paying attention. I have other things in my life. Yeah. I'm trying to keep a work-life balance. And so here's what I need from all of you. And so we came to sort of consensus as to how we were going to communicate with each other. So if you could have a, just a, very briefly, if we could go back and do it all over again, yep. at what point would you have brought it up and what would you have done or said? So I think of where I would have brought it up was the first day it agitated me, right? I have found, Laura, maybe you have too, is that if something doesn't sit right with me, there's probably a reason for it. And so I would say, this is weird. Like, what's this person doing? And then I thought, man, they're just, then it went on for a week, then went on for two. And then I started to realize this is just a pattern of behavior. So what I would have done differently is nip it earlier, not on day one, but give it, you know, 12 months was not appropriate. Right. It was not appropriate to carry that around. You'll notice I never said I went to my supervisor, who this person mm-hmm. reported to as well, because I didn't feel it was my supervisor's responsibility to figure out our our operating rhythm. Sure. So, so I never, never brought, I think I would have though, in retrospect, I would have, because ultimately it reflected poorly on me sending that email. Mm. That got to the supervisor and said, Chris, what are you doing here? And he just teed off on somebody. He said, yep, Mike. So again, in trying to throw that boulder, it wound up hitting and bouncing back to me and hitting me. Sure. So I would have been a little bit more proactive with my supervisor. And in those one-on-ones, when I was given the opportunity, hey, how's everything going? Instead of saying, everything's great, I should have said, having this issue with so-and-so, and I'd like to talk it out with you. Mm. So I would have probably uh, tried to get some advice. Got it. So get advice from the boss about how to address it yourself rather than saying, hey, boss, can you take care of this for me? Or otherwise just going off half cocked on the coworker, loop the person in to let them know that you're attempting to work this out maturely and collaboratively, et cetera, but early on. Exactly. Great. And with regard to proactivity, let's look at the issues in areas like succession planning. When you think about who to promote into a leadership role, can you share something that has disqualified or otherwise delayed somebody who was a technically qualified internal candidate for a leadership role, but something made you say, e- yeah, not not quite? Yeah, typically that something is culture fit. I'm a huge believer of hiring for culture. I have never been in a job, and I mean this, or, or supervised a job. Listen, I mean, teaching is an art form, and I, I am grateful for my years of teaching. I'm grateful for all the teachers that I ever worked with. But at the end of the day, I've never worked in a place where I couldn't look around at all the technical jobs and say I could teach somebody that. There were things that were specialty areas, and I get that. But at the end of the day, I am always looking at culture fit. So to go back to succession planning, promoting managers, et cetera, what is precluded is, is typically EQ mm. versus I am a huge fan of 
organizational behavior and talking about smart versus healthy, right? So very smart organizations have the technical skills, have the, you know, they do it right, they do it well, they're industry leaders, they have best practices, but the culture is a goat roadmap. And what I like to say is in those companies or those schools in my world is, man, that's a high performing school. Look at the grades, sure. look at the business. And then you go there, but there's blood on the walls. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know why, because they do it under the threat of some heavy handed leader that says, if we're not number one in test scores this year, it's your head on the line. And so, so there was a time when you had somebody who was a little too heavy handed, a little too dictatorial and demanding in his or her approach. Absolutely. Yes. So there was a time where I was aspiring to be an administrator and it was one of these folks that, as they say, you know, in leadership is who'd you learn the most from? Well, I learned the most from a person I shouldn't have. And what I mean by that is if I do everything opposite she ever did, I'll be the best leader. Mm. And it was one of those cases where they just didn't care about you as a person, right? It's yeah. all about the school's reputation, the public face of the school, their reputation, yeah. and never a factor of you as a person, right? And how does this affect my people? Yeah, how does this affect my people? So I learned very early on in leadership that building relationships with your folks, starting your one-on-ones with, hey, how you doing? How's your week? Again, not prying into their life. They disclose something. You know, recently I had an employee that re- reports directly to me who went through a very difficult process of losing their mother, right? Mm. And again, I'm not in that Catholic church world anymore, and I don't need to be a pastor to these people, but it, it clearly impacted. It didn't impact a lick of performance. This woman did not miss a beat of her job, but clearly it was draining on her. And so to open with that and to say in a one-on-one, you know, how you doing? How did everything go? All the family back and everybody, you know. So for me, going back to your, again, original question is those people in the organization I've been a part of that don't move up the our chain are folks that don't reflect the culture and the mission, vision, values of the organization. Yeah, those are things that after a while you figure it out pretty quickly if they just don't gel. The fact that they've been there that long is, of course, a whole other issue. So I want to take one real quick shift into one last area because we're coming short on time now. And I don't want to miss the last opportunity because you of all people should be answering this question. You've been in education for 25 years and more, working with lots of high school students at various capacities. So have you ever had the chance? I have to ask you this question first. Have you ever had the chance to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have. Okay. So then if you were to Call all of those that experience together and distill it down to one piece of advice that you're going to give to those students. Do you go back and do it again or talk to this year's graduating class, whether or not they're going to go to college, regardless of their career goals? What's the one thing they have to do to be successful? They have to be good people. Mm. I always stress, and again, maybe it's that bent of being Catholic educated and, you know, but again, I've just found that I can live with folks in my organization that aren't getting the technical skills down, need a little more coaching, need a little more training, need to understand a little bit more how that technology works. But they're good people. You know, I have had difficulty in my career with the smartest people in the room who are the best chemists, the brightest economists, the greatest, you know, phys ed teacher that ever walked the planet. And they're just that jerk. They're just not a good person. And I don't mean not living a I just mean, they're not nice. They're just yeah. they're down 
they're negative. They don't buy in. Person who sucks the life out of the room when they walk into it. Yeah, I call them internal assassins, right? Oh, that's a great phrase. Internal assassins that are just, and, and they may say, I'm not doing it. And they don't, act, the complacency is the, is the hardest part. Yes. We've all run up against those people. You just mentioned it is, you know, if you're coming at me on the freight train and I'm bringing the mission, vision, values, you're coming at me, I'm probably getting ready. You know, you're probably not here anymore. Yeah. But it's the quiet ones that are just doing nothing, that are just ambivalent towards the whole thing or oblivious to the whole thing that just kind of, the dead weight. Yeah. So to high school graduates, my own four kids, just be a good person. You're, a good person will always be a successful person. Right. And a good person, of course, not just the nice personality, but somebody who does their job, but is not, you know, not hurting others in the process. Does their job is ethical. It carries it their weight. Carries their weight. Helps others. Is helpful. Yeah. Gets out of their silo. Gets out of their comfort zone. Doesn't answer by saying, not my job. Mm. You know, uh, drives me crazy at home, right? Is, you know, well, we have the job chart. Well, who's empty dishwasher tonight? <laughs> well, Hannah is. Well, she's not home. Well, so we're not going to empty the dishwasher. It's like, so it's that kid that says, I got it. You know, yeah, that's, that's the start. I, I think that's the start, right? That's the place where you can start to form that concept of just a, you're just a good, kind person. Who's a leader that people will follow. Well, Chris, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. How can people learn more about you and the Westchester University Foundation? Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm out on Twitter. That's my kind of primary at Mommy Philly is my Twitter handle, love following and looking at these types of things that are, again, inspirational as they relate to leadership and organizational behavior. And then our foundation is this wcufoundation.org. Come and learn about the great things going on at Westchester University, the wonderful little gem here in Southeastern Pennsylvania, not little, seventeen over 17,000 students. Yeah, not little. Yeah, not little. You can read about our campaign. And, and I would you know, I challenge folks to look at it and say, does our website reflect some of the things I've said today. Does it take on the flavor of those mission, vision, values to reflect our culture? You know, I hope it does. Yes. Well, thank you so much again. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks, Laura. My pleasure. All right. And to everybody else, thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode if you haven't done so yet. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. 
No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.